Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, you you know me. Um, I'm kind of interested in words and uh, how they're used and where they come from. And there's a word that's, that's sort of entered our national vocabulary recently. Um, the, you, you do know, obviously, that uh, the previous practice of presidential, uh, of news conferences at the White House, the daily news conference at the White House, usually run by the press secretary, that's, that's over. That ain't, that ain't happening anymore um, for various reasons. And it has been replaced increasingly by something called the gaggle. That's the word uh, I'm sort of paying attention to, which is a gathering of White House reporters, uh, usually on the on the front lawn uh, or at any place where the president is either M-planing or D-planing or N-coptering or decoptering uh, as he goes about his travels. And he, the president himself, not his press secretary, engages increasingly frequently with uh, the White House press. And it's, uh, I guess, partly because he believes he's his own best press secretary. That's been reported. But, and <laughs> uh, crazily enough, I'm, I'm being informed by Thomas, who monitors the feeds here at the, uh, the show World Headquarters, that I, the president is in uh, France for the G7 meeting. Apparently, he's uh, uh, about to step onto uh, Marine One, his helicopter, to take him to the next event. And he is having uh, a, a gaggle right now. So uh, let's, if we can, join that feed for a moment. And I will tell you this. President Xi knows we're winning. Everybody at the G7 knows it. And, of course, they can't say it publicly because of the fake experts. Privately, many of them have said to me that they wish they were winning as much as we are. And even the ones who can't say it, so obviously, no, an excuse, excuse me. As far as the tariffs, if they weren't hurting China, you wouldn't see them retaliating, putting up tariffs of their own. You don't punch back if you haven't been punched, believe me. As far as why we've delayed our tariffs, and we have terrific tariffs already, they're like background checks for products. People tell me they may be the best tariffs this country has ever had, but that delay, and I can tell you this, was just me being nice. Sometimes I'm nice. And then, of course, I get criticized for that. So with the fake news, all of you, and especially Peter here, I don't think he could cover his story fairly if his own wife was attacked in the street like a dog. But maybe they could give Trump credit for being nice? What do you think? Maybe after the election. But we've talked to many people, and so many say the tariffs on guns only hurt the law-abiding owners. It's the sick people who don't pay the tariffs. And let me say this. It's fingers that pull the trigger. Maybe the Democrats next will want to outlaw fingers. These are crazy people. Believe me. Excuse me. Excuse me. As far as I'm concerned, I love all the amendments, but especially the second, maybe even more than the others. Maybe because I don't have supporters of the others calling me up all the time to say how much Trump means to them. It's interesting that the guns we do import from Germany and Italy and Croatia, China isn't even on the list, and we have terrific relations with those countries. Many people tell me the president of Croatia thinks of Trump as the chosen one of Croatia. And you never hear about that either, especially from you. Mr. Yes. President, Mr. President, what yes. about Senator Graham's concern about withdrawing troops? Wait, wait, wait. Didn't we cancel your hard pass? Enough. Enough out of you. Get him out of here. As far as Senator Graham and I are concerned, not only are we on the same page, 
but you couldn't put a slice of that page between us, I can tell you that. Get him out of here. I hereby order his pass revocated. All right, we'll uh, we'll get back to him if there. We'll keep monitoring if there's anything more newsworthy from the gaggle. Because hello, welcome to the show. White wine be more appropriate. Uh, anyway, hello from New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, news of the Olympic movement.
produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Well, a welter of badinage greets us again about the subject of heat in the Tokyo Olympics next year being looked at right now. That's why I look backward a year from year afterwards when we can look forward a year from now to from here. Dateline Tokyo, a number of people fell ill, as I say ill, recently due to high temperatures at a rowing test event for the 2020 Olympics. Despite ongoing preparations to prevent heat stroke during test events across the nation of Japan. Marathon swimming test event at another site was moved up by several hours, that is to say earlier, as a countermeasure against heat. These challenges spotlight concerns about the weather during the actual games less than a year away. To reduce construction costs, only about half of the grandstand for the rowing contest is covered by a roof. When they held a test event at the Sea Forest Waterway, areas directly exposed to sunlight reached 92 degrees by 10 in the morning. At the men venue, officials distributed cooling packs that set up tents made with thermal barrier materials for spectators waiting for buses. That'll do you. Despite all the efforts, one visitor suffered from heat stroke and received medical treatment. According to the Japan Rowing Association, 10 participating athletes fell ill, particularly during an awards ceremony that was held outdoors. On the same day, a marathon swimming test event, water temperature rose. The men's race was moved up to start at 7 instead of 11. Uh, sorry, instead of 10. The uh, International Federation for Water Sports stipulates races must be held in water temperatures of 87.8 degrees or lower, but by 5 a.m., water temperature had already reached 85.8 degrees going to get hotter. And sailing authorities have loosened the rules on life jackets at their Olympic test event to help athletes cool down. Competitors in the windsurfing final were permitted to remove their life jackets. The doctors realized the heat was too fierce. The jackets were increasing our heat levels and it could be dangerous. We took them off. Everyone is feeling that way, according to a gold medalist from the Rio Olympics. The French team doctor, Fanny Melevec, said the heat requires, quote, additional physical effort to achieve equal performance. It also creates significantly more fatigue. The International Federation is changing the lycra we wear, according to the doctor, which is too tight and not ventilated and which can provoke heat stroke. Despite these changes, not everything is in perfect working order, said the medical expert, who said the heat and humidity had not come as a surprise. Quote, we knew exactly where we were going. The World Sailing Federation says it's closely monitoring the situation and could further tweak the rules, depending on conditions. Come on, everybody, let's all tweak the rules. Quote, we have to be very careful with the heat. It is much hotter than the last two Olympics and many of the venues that we are used to, says the director of events at World Sailing. Of course, he adds, starting racing earlier in the day is a nice idea. But if there was no wind, we can't race. Oh, sure you can. Because it's the Olympics. And we all need, it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day.
Maybe they could uh, encase the medals in ice, you know, so when you win, you could just press the medal to you. I'm just trying to, you know me, I'm just trying to help, ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's, all, that's all I'm about. And words, that, those two things. Now, news from outside the bubble. This is the week to hate on Brazil. I'm telling you. And uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying po- finally people are um, picking up on the fact that Brazil has its own Trump. You know, Britain has its Trump. Brazil has its Trump. I th- I'm, I think it's going to, in the long run, well, you know, you never know. Their Trumps are going to be worse than ours, is what I'm saying. President Jair Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro sorry, spent Friday night this week, he's the president of Brazil, watching a uh, comic, went to a comedy club, watching a right-wing Christian comic. They have those down there. They have them everywhere. While the Amazon burned, Brazilians demonstrated their outrage. He had, while he was at the comedy club, a pre-recorded speech was unspooling to the nation, explaining how he planned to use the army to uh, fight the spread of fires. 75 this year already in the uh, Amazon rainforest, just our Earth's lungs. He insisted during his pre-recorded speech that the rate of burning of the forest was nothing out of the ordinary. The uh, Amazon fire crisis could jeopardize a trade deal between the European Union and the South American trade bloc that took 20 years to complete. Ah, trade deals are easy. That'll be discussed at the G7. On Friday, Bolsonaro took a break from the rising pressure by listening to the jokes of Jonathan Nemer. Oh, Jonathan Nemer. The uh, Nemer posted a photo with beaming Bolsonaro and First Lady Michelle. Oh, isn't that, isn't that sad? They couldn't even think of an original name for the First Lady. Stand-up in Brasilia is always a success, always full, but today we have the presence of someone very special, Bolsonaro, said the comedian in a video that he posted before leading a chant of, quote, legend, legend, unquote, that is popular among the supporters of the Brazilian Trump. Legend, legend. The um, comedian demonstrated his pro-Bolsonaro stance in a stand-up show before uh, voting last, in last year's election. He played the losing leftist candidate as possessed by the devil of the imprisoned former president who had come to, quote, finish Brazil off, unquote. Nemer also appears to share Bolsonaro's scatological obsession, according to the Guardian newspaper. One video on his YouTube channel is called Fart in Public. (laughs) Bolsonaro exposed himself to worldwide ridicule in March when he tweeted a video of a performer urinating on top of another, on top of a bus shelter during carnival, to expose, quote, what many street carnival groups have become. In another tweet, he then asked, quote, what is a golden shower, unquote. The uh, a political news site this month published five videos in which the president used the word coco, poo in Portuguese, five times in interviews. Uh, you may recall one of them mentioned here last week when he suggested pooping one, every other day to help the environment. 
And in a speech, he said, we're going to end the poo in Brazil. The poo is this race of corrupt and communists. And um, so forth. So that's that's their Trump. And not just the fires, ladies and gentlemen, not just the fires. More than 500 million bees have died in Brazil in the last three months. In one state alone, Rio Grande do Sul, 400 million dead bees were found. Beekeepers in four states are reporting the mass deaths. Two guesses. First one doesn't count. Use of pesticides. This is according to the BBC. Main cause of deaths have been pesticides containing products that are banned in Europe, such as neonicotinoids, our old friends, and also one I haven't heard from or of before. Fipronil. Hello, Fipronil. Welcome to the to the show. We'll be uh, looking forward to more from you. The EU opposed an almost total ban on neonics in April because of the serious harm it could cause to bees. But in the same year, Brazil lifted restrictions on pesticides. This was despite opposition from environmentalists who called it the poison package. This guy's good. The use of pesticides in Brazil has increased According to Greenpeace, 193 products containing chemicals that are banned in the EU being registered in Brazil in the last three years. That's even before Bolsonaro was elected president, to be fair. The country uses pesticides because its economy is so reliant on agriculture, says the BBC. Yeah, like that explains it. In Russia, in Russia, bees report human deaths. No, in Russia, 20 regions reported bee deaths with officials warning it could mean 20% less honey being produced. No honey for you, Russia. At least one million bees died in South Africa in November of last year. The uh, finger was pointed at Fipronil. Fipronil, we're looking at you. And countries such as Canada, Mexico, Argentina, and Turkey have all reported mass die-offs of bees in the last 18 months. And you can't blame all that on Bolsonaro. No, I'm not standing up for the guy. I'm just, you know... If there's one thing I'm about, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's fairness. Fairness and words and um, whatever the other thing was. And now, news of the godly. We're following the case of Cardinal George Pell, the most, uh, he was uh, the Archbishop, I believe, of Sydney. He was a uh, high ranking in the Catholic Church after uh, he left that post. He was head of Vatican Finances. That's where they squirreled him away while the sexual abuse scandal swirled about his pretty head. Now, the most senior priest jailed for child abuse in the 2,000-year history of the Church failed to convince an Australian court this week that he was the victim of injustice. He will have to continue to serve his six-year jail term for sexually assaulting two choir boys they had sneaked into his changing rooms to drink sacramental wine in Melbourne's Grand St. Patrick's Cathedral 23 years ago, That's according to the Washington Post. In a case that caused bitter division among Catholics, the Chief Justice of the Victoria Supreme Court, Anne Ferguson, said she was convinced by the evidence of the only li- li- living witness. That was a Melbourne man who had accused the priest of surprising his younger self and brutally assaulting him in front of a school friend who was then attacked as well. Well, why not attack the witness? Come on. That's just called common sense. Something. It's called something. And now I forget what. Um, 
The complainant was a very compelling witness, said the judge. He was clearly not a liar, was not a fantasist, and was a witness of truth, unquote. The Vatican acknowledged the decision, noting that Pell had always maintained his innocence and could still appeal to the high court. It also reiterated its commitment to pursue members of the clergy involved in abuse, quote, through the competent ecclesiastical authorities, unquote, meaning let's keep it inside the church a little longer, maybe. Pell was sentenced last March. His lawyers argued the original trial was unfair because the cardinal wasn't able to present evidence they say demonstrated it would have been impractical for him to molest the boys, given the amount of time available after conducting a mass on Sunday. They also, this is his lawyers, they said Pell could not have exposed his genitals because of the heavy clothing he was wearing. Let me just, I'll be with you in a second here. Ferguson and another judge examined Pell's robes and weren't convinced by the argument, nor did they accept that there were any procedural or legal flaws in the trial. Pell's robes, here they are right here, have also been made available to the jury, which reached a unanimous verdict. So I guess these robes aren't as ever heavy as we thought. Meanwhile, a report released Thursday by Vermont's Roman Catholic Church found there were, quote, credible and substantiated, unquote, allegations of the sexual abuse of minors against 40 priests in Vermont. That's a fu- since 1950. Vermont's not a big state, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ben and Jerry, Howard Dean, Bernie, a few thousand others. All but one of those allegations occurred prior to uh, the beginning of this century. None of the priests is still in ministry. Most are now dead. They pulled an Epstein. The numbers are still staggering, said Bishop Christopher Coyne, leads the, Bur- the Diocese of Burlington, which covers the entire state. So it's really the Diocese of Vermont, but Burlington gets name-checked in it. I guess because of the carpets? Something factory. What was that? Coyne commissioned the report last fall after the Vermont Attorney General's Office launched its own investigation into allegations of abuse at the now-shuttered St. Joseph's Orphanage. That's where they hand out the asp... No. And uh, mid-mounting pressure on the church to respond to abuse claims. Coyne said until the names were released this week, the scope of abuse within the diocese, quote, has been our family secret, unquote. He said he hopes the report can continue a process of healing for the victims, while the church works to regain its credibility as a source of moral authority. That will take some work, I'm guessing. Last month, the Diocese of Manchester, which covers New Hampshire, name-checked Manchester, posted a list that included the names of 73 priests accused credibly of sexual abuse. The Vermont Diocese has been grappling with priest sex abuse cases for decades, Grappling, I say. Many of the priests who were named have been named publicly in the past. The diocese has spent tens of millions of dollars to settle cases, a move that has forced the diocese to liquidate some of its assets to pay those claims. The Associated Press does not detail what those assets might have been. I would love to know what assets were liquidated, but that's just me. That, you know, that's... That's what I'm about. I'm all about assets, ladies and gentlemen. The diocese, you'll be glad to know, is still in discussions with a handful. Ooh, 
I wouldn't use that word, handful of additional victims. That's the AP's writing, not mine, ladies and gentlemen. And I am uh, informed by uh, Thomas that there may be some uh, newsworthy stuff going on at the uh, the gaggle is still going on in uh, in France. So let's go back to that, if we may. Excuse me, excuse me. I talked to Prime Minister Netanyahu. I said to him that I knew he was under a lot of pressure from the fake news in Israel. They have the fake news there too. Many people say it's so much worse than here, which I can believe. And they're putting great pressure on him to let the two congresswomen in. And I hear people are now calling them the squadettes. I don't want to call them that. It makes them sound less disgusting. But I said to him, we will help you. We'll help you stand up to the pressure. It's enormous, the likes of which all of you have never seen. And I also told him that if it would help for the United States to buy Israel, I would hereby order that to happen. I'm not saying it's going to. And yes, we could do that with our Congress. Many people tell me I could do that by executive action. Just move the money from someplace else, schools, water projects, something non-military. And I will tell you this, while he didn't accept the offer, he definitely was not nasty about it. And that's, that's a real ally. And let me tell you this, maybe it won't happen. Maybe it will. We'll have to see. But he was very grateful. And he told me that no president had ever made such a generous offer to Israel. And of course, we get the money back many times over when the Bible prophecies come around. He didn't say that. I'm saying it. And many other people are too. And ex excuse me. Excuse me. That's not why we would do it. But these two women, I call them the squadettes. They would like nothing better for, them, for these predictions, you might call them, for them never to come around. And that has to make you wonder who's the bigger enemy, them or the president of China or the head of the Fed or even the EU, because they take from us enormous amounts of money every year, never pay their fair share of it. One other thing the prime minister told me, he said he understood where I was coming from when I retweeted the guy on the radio, the conservative. I got so much heat from what I like to call the fake Democrats when I did that. Here's what Netanyahu said. Mr. President, he said, we in Israel see you as the second coming of Donald Trump. And I said to him, thank you, Mr. Prime Minister, but excuse me, as far as I can tell, I never left. Yes. Mr. President, are you concerned about the trade war with China hurting I, our economy? I, there seem to be signs pointing to a recession. I can say this. No country in the history of the world has had a better economy. And you know who says that? The numbers. Even if they don't like Trump, they have to support Trump and vote for Trump even though numbers don't vote. All right, we'll, we'll um, uh, keep monitoring the gaggle and uh, get back to it uh, if uh, the news warrants. And the show continues. Baby, can you move around the rhythm so we can 
sound is ringing They don't know what they're missing Legs and go time to lay low Your knees are bending so It's time to get up and let go Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. So Dateline, Wilmington, Delaware. Members of the community demanded the resignation of a red clay school board member due to recently uncovered Facebook posts, which they said promoted guns and gun violence. With his post, board member Jason Casper threatens those with opposing political views by saying his people have more bullets than they do. Despite that and many comments calling for his resignation, Casper said he will not resign. He did issue an apology at the start of the school board meeting. Quote, I should have known better. I should have known that in today's world, attempts of humor, attempts of humor are always politically dangerous and that I was setting a poor example for the kids that I love. So I'm sorry for that. I apologize unequivocally, first and foremost, to the kids. Humor by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen. Always a good idea. Deadline. Waxhaw, North Carolina. North Carolina, first in freedom. License plate says so. A Charlotte area mother was banned for a week from inviting friends to like a Facebook memorial page she created for her dead son because Facebook thought the requests violated community standards. This is this week's Facebook apology of the week. Facebook apologized, removed the block. You relive the nightmare over and over again, said the mom, Dawn Swirsky, whose son Jonathan was shot and killed last month. The shooter told a 911 operator he fired his shotgun by accident. No arrests have been made in the case. Someone needs to be held accountable for this, said the mom. We're not getting the answers. So to push for answers, the family created a Facebook group called Justice for Jonathan, a way to spread awareness and share memories. I wanted everyone to realize Jonathan was a real person, that he had a family that can come to life through the page. 
She invited her Facebook friends to join the online memorial group. So shortly after the social networking site banned her from inviting people to like her page for a week. I thought it was a mistake, she said. The company quickly apologized after reached by a local TV station, WJZY. The company apologized and corrected the mistake. We've removed the block after confirming that it didn't violate our policies. The company says it has taken steps to prevent the issue from happening again in the future. They're taking steps. They're taking a lot of steps. There's a lot of stepping going on at Facebook. A Democratic state senator from Illinois apologized this weekend after a man at one of his fundraisers pointed what appeared to be a fake assault weapon at another person wearing a Donald Trump, uh, Trump, Donald Trump mask or Donald Tusk mark. The incident that took place is unacceptable, said the lawmaker, Martin Sandoval. I don't condone violence toward the president or anyone else. I apologize that something like this happened at my event. Deadline Garden Grove, California, which is neither a garden nor a grove, interestingly. New videos have been released of additional instances of students at a Garden Grove High School making Nazi gestures as the school district reopens. An investigation into one video that came to light, according to local TV station Channel 7. In that first video, about 10 boys from Pacifica High School's water polo team are seen at an off-site, that's away from school, award ceremony. Late last year, no coach or adult is in view. The teens seem to be gesturing using a Nazi salute and singing an obscure Nazi marching song once used to play for German troops during World War II. Well, they did the research. you got to give them that. In the three new videos... Students are seen outdoors on school grounds giving Nazi salutes, wrapping themselves in a Confederate flag, and making Nazi salutes while they march with a German flag. They sure must like flags. Two of the new videos are from last year. One is from three years ago, but show students who are still in the school. Extra police were on hand at the district board meeting as parents and teachers voiced frustration at not being told earlier about what was going on. They weren't informed about the uh, initial water polo team being disciplined. The school's principal apologized at the board meeting. We are sorry that our investigation and our transparency with the Pacifica community fell drastically short. School principal says his transparency fell short. See what I'm saying? I'm all about the words. In In retrospect, our judgment was wrong, and we take full responsibility for that. And he says there will be more transparency with the investigation. Teachers are demanding they be part of changing the current school culture. Because of the publicity, some students, including some not even involved in the videos, have been getting death threats. And the great circle of love continues. George Mason University inadvertently warned students about an armed person on campus. This week, there is no threat. The Northern Virginia School quickly said in a follow-up message. The uh, message appeared on the school's official account. A person with a weapon is on the Fairfax campus and is considered dangerous. Take shelter in a safe location and lock block door. Defend yourself if necessary. Avoid campus, unquote. The tweet was deleted. A new tweet five minutes later said there is no emergency. The school sent a campus-wide email saying it was only a test. The school safety director apologized for the false alarm, said a vendor the university works with accidentally sent the alert. The message was sent inadvertently by one of the university's emergency notification system software vendors. It was not initiated by anyone on our campus, said David Farris. Well, that's a good idea, having your emergency software controlled from somewhere else by your vendor. 
Remote control, baby. It's it's the big thing. Deadline Rio de Janeiro, a Uruguayan soccer player, apologized. He sparked outrage for wishing himself a happy birthday with a photo from Auschwitz. Rodrigo Salazar, Salazar dedicated a snap of himself outside the concentration camp with celebratory emojis and posted it to his Instagram account. This happened when he turned 20. Come on, the human brain doesn't mature until the late 20s. He currently plays for a Polish club. He's deleted the post in a video message to uh, his team's Instagram account with nearly 15,000 followers. Talk about micro-influencers. He used poor English to read what was apparently a pre-written statement. Quote, it was not in my intention to insult concentration camp victims. I did not know where I exactly was standing when I was making this photo. I'm ashamed of my act because now I know what happened behind this gate. I want to apologize to everyone who felt offended by my act, unquote. The picture showed him standing on the train tracks used to transport victims into the Nazi camp in southern Poland. The museum that now operates on the site has in recent years had to repeatedly remind visitors not to take photos or selfies in areas such as the tracks or the rooms in which people were murdered. Selfies, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, primary election matchup between Massachusetts Senator Edward Markey and Representative Joseph P. Kennedy, three is still hypothetical, but it's getting messy. Apparent social media blunder by Markey's top campaign hand has angered Kennedy, his team, and supporters. Started when a senior advisor to Markey's campaign retweeted a nasty post Markey, co-author of the Green New Deal, is a great senator. Joe Kennedy should focus on his family's considerable mental health issues, unquote. Original tweet by uh, James S. Henry, a self-described investigative reporter, has since been deleted. But the retweet by the top campaign aide, Paul Tencher, uh, is what uh, aroused the Kennedy supporters who said Markey should apologize Tencher himself quickly apologized. Quote, I absolutely take it back. It was a mistake, and I never would have said something like this. My apologies. That tweet was despicable and abhorrent. Tencher also reached out to Kennedy's staff with an apology. Marque called and spoke with Kennedy, expressing his deep regret. Okay, you guys play fair now in the election. I don't want to see, I don't want to see any nasty stuff. There's more. There are more. There are still not. We haven't gotten to the bottom of the apologies list yet, ladies and gentlemen. How about this? Lee County Sheriff, that's in Tupelo, Mississippi. Jim Johnson has issued a letter of apology to the Tupelo chapter of the NAACP for a series of racist text messages he sent to a local county supervisor. According to the head of the local NAACP chapter, who said he couldn't give a copy of the letter to a local newspaper until uh, they vote to accept the apology. I vote yay. Give them the money. The MIT Media Lab, an elite research center at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, hence the initials in its name, is in turmoil. Last week, its director was revealed to have had ties to Jeffrey Epstein, who had given money to the lab and to his, Joichi Ito's, own venture capital funds. He, Mr. Ito, has now apologized. And two educators affiliated with the lab said this week they would end their relationship with the Institute. Ito 
is a member of the New York Times company board. Did not disclose in the apology how much money he had accepted from Epstein for the Media Lab or for his own funds. I want you to know that in all of my interactions with Epstein, I was never involved and never heard him talk about and never saw any evidence of the horrific acts that he was accused of, said Ito in his apology. That's not Lance. That's Joichi. A new Ito to think about. Tom Pearsanti, a night editor on the New York Times politics desk, said he deleted tweets from a decade ago that were offensive. He apologized, saying, I am deeply sorry. This came after Breitbart published a story unearthing old anti-Semitic tweets he had posted. The New York Times says, we are reviewing next steps. Okay, I, I wonder if their steps are in lockstep with Facebook steps. And Seoul Semiconductor has officially apologized for a recent radiation exposure accident in uh, South Korea. Sorry about the radiation. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now an important message. I'm John Blondin. I was Good Morning America co-host before you were born. And when my mom started forgetting her words, we needed help in finding the right senior living solution for her. But moms aren't the only people who need a place. Now there's a new source for help, advising you in the most difficult moments on the appropriate level of assistance for your declining loved one. A place for Don. This is a free service right in your neighborhood. It offers you affordable, practical recommendations on living arrangements that can provide for even the most demanding declining loved one. And the services they are offering are better than ever. Amenities like manicured lawns for impromptu press conferences, beautiful ballrooms where state dinners might have been held, golf courses staffed by the same illegals your loved one may be used to. A place for Don can match the facility to your dad's or uncle's needs and resources. Best of all, it's free. Better yet, I have no idea how it's paid for. But like time itself, the ravages of time won't stand still. You'll feel better when you call A Place for Don today. And so will the rest of us. A Place for Don. We know senior living. You know your damaged loved one. Together, we can take the burden and shove it completely out of sight. Call now. Now, news of the atom. Friend the Adam, in the days after a nuclear accident at a Russian military site in the White Sea, not the Black Sea, four radiation sensors sending data from Russian territory to an international monitoring network blinked offline. This week, a senior Russian official said the country did not have to share data from those sensors with the network, raising concerns the Kremlin was withholding information about the severity of radioactive contamination caused by the incident in northern Russia. That was a test of a new weapon system. The mysterious failure of the four sensors, part of a global system established by a Vienna-based group, had already fueled fears about what took place on August 8th. The explosion at a naval weapons range that day killed seven people and released radiation that elevated readings in a city 25 miles away. Since then, the Russian government has said little, and rumors have been rife. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, everything's fine over there. 
A team of researchers with the Chinese Academy of Sciences has carried out an assessment of possible safety issues tied to the rise of the second nuclear era, which we might call Nuke 2.0. Oh, wait, uh, sorry, we'll get to that. But there's uh, another item to do with Russia. Russian medics who treated radiation victims after that explosion had no protection and now fear they were irradiated themselves. Two of the medics in Arkhangelsk spoke to BBC Russia about the victims' evacuation. Five nuclear engineers, as I said, died. Six were injured. Officials gave few details. The uh, medics said at least 90 people came into contact with the casualties. The military did not warn them of any nuclear contamination risk. Three were treated at one hospital, a civilian one. Three other casualties were taken to uh, a hospital equipped for radiation emergencies. The medics say they were speaking out now because they fear for their own health and did not want any similar safety violations to recur. We don't want them to bring us next time. Not three but ten people, God forbid, and hide the information from us again, said one of the doctors. They said it was clear the three brought to their regional hospital were very sick. Doctors examined them in the emergency room then sent them to an operating theater. But the emergency room continued to admit other patients for about an hour until doctors realized the three had received a very high radiation dose. The hospital handles pregnancy complications and other difficult medical conditions. The radiation picture was was developing by the hour. Every hour you could see that this or that cell count in the blood test was plunging, signaling a very high radiation dose. The hospital staff kept treating the victims despite knowing about the radiation dose, improvising some self-protection. They took face masks from the helicopter crew's emergency kit. The condition of the three victims is now unknown. A military team later carried out decontamination work at the hospital. Now, a team of researchers with the Chinese Academy of Sciences is carrying out that assessment of possible safety issues tied to Nuke 2.0, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The group paper describes the factors that led to the rise of the second nuclear era and safety concerns that need to be addressed now. The new nuclear era is driven by less developed countries such as India, China, and to some degree Russia. The researchers suggest this new, unexpected second nuclear era era is fraught with great risk. They mentioned Russia. Risk. They note that despite efforts by the parties involved in implementing nuclear power plants in the first era, major accidents occurred. Hello, Chernobyl. They further note that recent history suggests that safely producing nuclear energy has still not been fully realized. In their paper, they outline some of the safety issues involved with the second nuclear era. Unlike most advanced countries, the new ones suffer from poor infrastructure and the means for safely maintaining a complex nuclear plant. The laws in some of the countries developing nuke now are less stringent, and there is more corruption and less political stability, and there are differences in social values regarding risk and the need for safety practices. Such, many such countries do not have well-established communications channels between those operating nuke facilities and the public at large. Aside from that, Dr. Lincoln, go right ahead. One of two cracked reactors at a uh, Scottish nuclear power station has been given permission to reopen, but only for four months. The U.K.'s Office for Nuclear Regulation is allowing EDF Energy to restart Reactor 4, which has an estimated 209 cracks in its graphite core. The regulator has accepted the operator's argument that it's safe to relax the limit for the permitted number of cracks, The operational allowance for cracks per reactor is being doubled from 350 to 700. 
There we go. Ipso facto, changeo presto. The regulator uh, stressed that after four months, EDF would again have to prove it was safe carrying on the reactor operation, or they might have to raise the limit again. And speaking of Scotland and nuclear stuff, a Scottish nuclear power plant has been affected by a power cut linked to a lightning strike. That's right. A power plant has been affected by a power cut. No, there's nothing wrong with that. What do you mean? Uh, I will uh, continue with my reading. Plant operator said a short loss of power was experienced to the site near Thurso. Managers confirmed the strike did not directly hit the nuclear power plant. Backup supplies also failed as a result of the incident, prompting safety fears. This according to the Scotsman. They have to wear kilts when they write the news. I, I don't understand. It meant that for about one hour there was no power for vital safety systems, which monitor radio, radiation and ventilation. Operators said, say it with me now, there had been no risk to people or the environment. The uh, plant is in the process of being decommissioned and the land being cleared up. So the power cut stopped the decommissioning temporarily. That's, uh, to be, that work will be completed between 2030 and 2033. So plan your visit accordingly. And I uh, just hope that when you go there, you're not hit by lightning.
Now news about uh, America's longest war. You know, there's stories this week about whether uh, the United States is going to take all of its troops out of Afghanistan after only 20 years. Uh, some officials, like Lindsey Graham, are uh, saying, no, that would be a big mistake because we got to keep some troops there. And uh, here's one reason why. Afghanistan is seeing a boom in methamphetamine drug production, according to the British newspaper The Telegraph. This potentially provides a new revenue stream for the Taliban, in addition to the opium and the heroin and the thing. The United Nations says Afghan seizures of meth had increased exponentially, that means a lot, in the past five years, and then gone off the scale in 2019. Taliban insurgents make tens of millions a year from opium. They're now taxing criminal gangs making meth in western Afghanistan. Oh, well, western Afghanistan. What do you expect? Drugs gangs have also cut their costs by starting to use a locally grown mountain bush as an ingredient. Mmm, that mountain bush. And uh, abandoned the previous method of cooking up over-the-counter cold and flu medicines. Well, maybe we don't have to then go to the pharmacist for them anymore because they're using the bush. Madame Finneman seizures had been no more than a few kilos earlier in the decade. But now 650 kilograms in the first half of this year. The uh, London School of Economics studied drug labs hit by U.S. airstrikes in western Afghanistan. Many were making methamphetamine as well as processing opium. What's impressive, says the author of the report, is just how quickly it's taking off. Well, there's, there's innovation. See, that's what we want. We want... Production is thought to have shifted from Iran, where police tried to stamp it out, to the border regions of western Afghanistan, which were frequently under Taliban control. A lot of the technical know-how come, had come from Iran. Afghans who'd worked in labs in Iran. Learned the skills, came back, set up shop. As we say, they're using a local bush called ephedra. There's a clue. Because cold and flu remedies had become too costly. The United Nations is now going to begin surveying where ephedra is growing. Maybe they just watched Breaking Bad. And now, news of the warm mourners have gathered in Iceland to commemorate the loss of Okjokul, which died at the age of about 700. It was a glacier. It was originally declared dead in 2014 when it was no longer thick enough to move. I have friends like that. What was, what was once a glacier, and you know who you are, what was once a glacier has been reduced to a small patch of ice atop a volcano. The Prime Minister... Who's uh, Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdotter? Uh, attended the ceremony. Mourners walked up the volcano northeast of Reykjavik to lay a plaque which carries a letter to the future. This is the first Icelandic glacier to lose its status as a glacier, it reads. In the next 200 years, all our main glaciers are expected to follow the same path. This monument is to acknowledge that we know what is happening and what needs to be done. Only you know. If we did it, unquote. The dedication was written by Icelandic author Andri Magnusson. Ends with the date of the ceremony and the level of concentration of carbon dioxide in the air at this moment. Magnusson told the BBC, You think in a different time scale when you're writing in copper rather than on paper. You start to think that somebody is actually coming there in 300 years reading it. Unquote. 
And finally, the U.K.'s only active fracking site experienced a magnitude 1.05 tremor on Friday, two days after another tremor, even stronger, 1.55, the largest ever at the site in Lancashire. What the frack? Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week on the radio at this same time, on your audio device of choice, whenever you want it. And it would be just like fracking not causing earthquakes if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh, tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address, yes... I still get email at that address, mainly press releases, but you could write too. The address is at, uh, on, the, on the website at harrysherdall.com, along with your opportunity to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist of the music you are hearing and have heard on today's program. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates, is what it does, through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans. <laughs>